This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers, your teacher for this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to be looking at a text out of 1 Corinthians 12 that has caused some problems for some Christians, especially those who are sort of in deliverance ministries where they go around trying to cast evil spirits out of people. I don't know what your beliefs are on all of that. Uh, but in some of these circles, they use 1 Corinthians 12, 3 as a way to determine whether or not someone has an evil spirit in them. Uh, but I've also seen this verse abused by people who want to use it as a way to test if someone's a true Christian or not. Okay, because the verse says that, uh, well, the way people read this verse is that only true Christians can say Jesus is Lord, whereas... You know, if you're not a true Christian or if you are possessed by an evil spirit or something, then you can't say Jesus is Lord. So, so there's some people, maybe fringe groups, I know, but there are some people who use this verse, you know, going around trying to figure out who's a Christian and who isn't uh, by what Paul writes in this verse. So that's what we're going to look at today. And um, the verse says, well, we'll, we'll look at that. So, uh, look, this verse, the study of this verse comes out of my Gospel Dictionary online course. Uh, the word anathema is the word we're, we're looking at in the course there. Actually, we look at 52 key words of the Bible, and anathema is one of them. Uh, and so then, after defining the word anathema, we look at several key texts, and 1 Corinthians 12, 3 is one of them. That's in the online uh, course, Gospel Dictionary. You can take the entire course at no additional charge when you become a member of my discipleship group. Just go to redeeminggod.com slash join and um, join the faith, hope, or love levels. That gets you access to all of the courses at no additional charge. Uh, the, the fee to join the discipleship group is not because I'm greedy or I want money or anything like that. It's so that you can say thank you to me for the work I put out. It's a lot of time, money, and expense putting out these podcasts, writing my books, and so on. And uh, selling the books simply doesn't pay for all of the expenses of doing all this. So I created a discipleship course, I mean a discipleship group, so that people could, could uh, give back. And so those of you who have joined, thank you so much. You have no idea how much it means to me and my family. Uh, to see you support the work I'm doing. Not only that, though, but there are people all over the world, hundreds of thousands a month, who depend on this podcast and my blog uh, to give them good teaching about the love and grace of God in their lives. And so your support helps that message continue to go out to them. So thank you very much for partnering with me in that way. And when you join, I'm able to say thank you in return and giving you additional teaching and resources that you can't get anywhere else. Okay, so redeeminggod.com slash join if you want to, to participate in that way. So 1 Corinthians 12, 3, again, some people have used this as a litmus test. In fact, I did this myself once. Uh, in my first year of marriage, my wife and I were living in Wheaton, Illinois. I was finishing up my education at, my, uh, at Moody Bible Institute. And I remember one Sunday after church, we went to Arby's to have lunch. 
Uh, my wife liked their chicken salad sandwiches, and you know I liked their their roast beef uh, sandwiches with the much horsey sauce on there as I can get that horseradish sauce. Uh, <laughs> little insight into me, I guess. Although I haven't had one of those in a long time, I'm super hungry now. Um, and anyway, after we ate, I remember we went outside, and there was this this clearly a homeless person standing there with with some very erratic behavior. And um, so we said, hey, we, we decided to talk to him. And uh, I went back in and I bought him some food. And while he was eating, we, we talked to him a little bit. And my wife said, you know what? He, his clothes are so ragged. I'm going to run down to the local store and we're going to buy him some, uh, some, some clothes. Uh, you know, we were on a super limited budget. So um, she was going to buy him some clearance clothes or something. You know, nothing, nothing fancy besides he Anyway, uh, getting off in the tangent again. So uh, she went off, and I stayed and talked with him while I waited. And as I talked to him, the conversation went in some really bizarre directions. So much so that I began to wonder, boy, this guy, (laughs) his behavior is so erratic and crazy, and some of the things he's saying so damaging and destructive to Christianity. Um, I I wonder if this guy's demon-possessed. In fact, he was saying things like, I remember him saying that he had inside information about Billy Graham and how Billy Graham would go and do these, have these orgies out on yachts, uh, out, out in, the, out in the, uh, the Pacific Ocean or something like that. And, and you know, he was really, uh, Billy Graham was really, you know, an agent of the devil and things like that. He was just saying some crazy things. So I said, you know what? And I was, uh, you know, moved to Bible Institute, and I don't remember where I'd picked this up. I don't think it was from my upbringing or my church, but 1 Corinthians 12, 3 popped into my mind for some strange reason. So I was like, oh man, I wonder if this guy's demon-possessed. Well, if he's demon-possessed, I know he can't say Jesus is Lord. So I asked him, hey, can you say the words Jesus is Lord? And he looked at me like I was crazy. He says, of course, Jesus is Lord. (laughs) Okay, well, he's not demon-possessed then. That was my conclusion. Clearly, he had some mental problems. Uh, And then my wife came back. We gave him his clothes and... um, then we went off on our way, and obviously, who knows what helped. I never saw him again, but uh, look, is that really the proper use of 1 Corinthians 12, 3? Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. All right, so uh, again... My application of that verse wasn't even accurate because I was using it to try to determine whether or not he was demon-possessed. Uh, but really, if, we, if that's really what Paul is saying, then what he's saying is uh, that only those who can say Jesus is Lord, that means they're Christians. Okay? So I challenge you if, you, if you think that's what that verse means, go out on the street, go up to 10 random people and say, hey, can you say the words Jesus is Lord? I guarantee you, every single person you meet will be able to say the words, Jesus is Lord. Does that mean that every single person who says those words, that means they're a Christian? Of course not. That doesn't make any sense. And the opposite's also true. If you go up to 10 people on the street and you ask them, can you say the words, Jesus is accursed? (laughs) I guarantee you. Every single person will be able to say that. Now, you might run into some actual Christians who say, oh, no, I'm not comfortable saying those words, uh, in which case, um, you know, it doesn't mean they're not a Christian. But still, uh, the point is, everybody can say those words. In fact, listen, I've, I've been saying it myself. Jesus is accursed. Jesus is Lord. Okay, I can say both. You can say both. 
Okay, so being able to say those words means nothing, <laughs> absolutely nothing about a person's eternal destiny or their spiritual condition or even whether or not they're demon-possessed or under the control of, of Satan or something like that, okay? Or under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, you know, except by the Holy Spirit here. So the, the, the opposite is also true. All right. So, so I don't know if you have ever thought of using this verse that way, but just stop. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not what this verse is for. It's not what the verse means. What does the verse mean? Well, again, just as we discussed briefly in the last podcast episode, all right, where we looked at Romans 9.3, the key word to look at here is this word accursed or anathema in, in Greek. All right, so Paul says nobody can say Jesus is accursed or anathema, all right, when they're speaking by the Holy Spirit. All right, you may recall that uh, the church in Corinth, well, the people there thought they were super hyper-spiritual. By the way, I have a whole commentary written on 1 Corinthians. <laughs> I just haven't published it. Uh I have like 10 books I've completed and written, and I just don't have time to uh, to publish. But I'm trying to get to them. Hopefully this year and next year, it's sort of my catch-up years, and I'm going to try to get some of these resources out to you um, that I have written. I just haven't published them. And, and my commentary on 1 Corinthians hopefully is going to be one of those, but we'll see. Um, uh, and and so the, the you have to understand the church in Corinth, they, were these, they, they thought they were super hyper-spiritual. And they had lots of other problems, but this, this, this super hyper-spirituality that uh, was this root source of all of their problems, which is by, by the way, if you ever run into somebody who's always talking about the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that, some little red flags should go up in your mind, uh, because that was the, the problem with the church in Corinth. And the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit wants to glorify Jesus, not, not himself. Holy Spirit points people to Jesus, lifts up the name of Jesus, points people to Jesus. Uh, and, and so someone who's always talking about the Holy Spirit, eh, I don't think the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit exalts Jesus. Okay, anyway, little side note. But uh, that's what Paul was trying to tell the people in Corinth as well. And apparently what was happening in Corinth is that um, there were these hyper-spiritual people. And... Uh, they, there's all these questions that arose from that. And one of these questions was whether or not, or, or what a person could and could not say when they were speaking in tongues. This 1 Corinthians 12, 3 verse is right in the beginning of this discussion, Romans 12, 13, and 14, about speaking in tongues. By the way, if you want to know, a little side tangent again, uh, if you want to know what I believe about speaking in tongues, I have just finished writing a book on spiritual gifts, and I have an entire chapter in that book on speaking in tongues. My view on speaking in tongues, what I believe Scripture teaches about it, and uh, how it is practiced today, how it should be practiced today. Uh, again, another book that is not yet out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, hopefully it will be out this year. Uh, so many plans, so little time. Um, and uh, anyway, I do discuss uh, for a little bit of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 in that book, in that chapter. Paul starts off that discussion of tongues with this statement, with this little introductory opening statement in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 3, 
sort of uh, summarizing what issue the issue was that the Corinthian Christians were facing. All right, so basically what happens then is this statement in 1 Corinthians 12.3 is addressing something that was actually occurring in the gatherings of the church in Corinth. Apparently, some people were speaking in tongues, and when these tongues were translated, these super spiritual leaders, when these, the, the translation was, they were saying Jesus is accursed. And obviously, people were getting upset at that. Oh, well, you can't say that. Well, and, and the spiritual leaders, well, look, it wasn't me. It was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit was saying that. The translation is true. Jesus is accursed. Okay, so, so when they were challenged by, you know, what they were saying, what the translation of what they were saying, they were saying, look, it wasn't me. They were throwing their hands up. I was just speaking by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is coming along saying, no, 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 no. Okay, when someone is speaking by the Holy Spirit in tongues, that's the reference here, that's the context, they're not going to say Jesus is a curse. They're going to say something like Jesus is Lord. You know, maybe in another tongue, but that's 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 what the, the basic gist of the message. If they're going to be saying something about Jesus, it's not about him being a curse, it's about him being Lord. Okay, so this then raises the question, why why would people who are speaking in tongues say that Jesus is accursed? Right, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, you know, what is it that these super spiritual ones in Corinth were claiming when they said and they were defending their idea that Jesus is a curse? So remember again, imagine the scenario here: someone speaks in tongues, one of the super spiritual leaders speaks in tongues, and then one of someone who who is a translator translates this, these tongues, and the translation is that Jesus is a curse. And some people in the church object. Well, you can't say that. No, I was just speaking by the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit wouldn't say that. And you see how the argument goes. So why would the super spiritual leader be defending the idea? Yes, you know they're trying not to take responsibility for it because they're speaking by the Holy Spirit. But why would they defend the idea? that what they were saying was true, that Jesus was accursed, right? And so now Paul has to address it. Why, why, would, why, why was this a view for them? Well, again, some of it has to do with this idea of anathema. When we hear anathema or accursed, we think eternally separated from God, so on. Again, get that idea out of your mind. That is not what the word anathema means. The Greek word, uh, I talked about this a little bit in the last podcast episode. It's also defined more clearly in the anathema or accursed entry in my Gospel Dictionary online course. But you need to understand what the Corinthian Christians were dealing with here. Um, They were viewing, or they held, the Corinthian Christians held a very, very early form of Gnosticism. (laughs) I am not saying they were Gnostics, okay? Hear me well. Gnosticism didn't come around until much, much later. But this was a very early form of it, sort of the seeds of Gnosticism here in uh, the super-spiritual Corinthian Christianity here, uh, that we see bits and pieces of this pop up all over the place in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. One of the sort of common views in Gnosticism, even the early forms, before it was known as Gnosticism, okay, hear me well, I don't want anybody to say, Jeremy Myers thinks the Corinthians were Gnostics. I don't, okay, I don't. Uh, But we do see early bits of it here. Uh, And one of these early bits was that uh, the physical world is evil, physical world is bad, and the spiritual world is good, all right? And there's this stark separation, division between the two, 
sort of a dualistic uh, perspective on the world. All right? Now, I don't think the Corinthian Christians were there completely, but we do see early forms of it here and there, especially with this discussion earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, where people are, the, the super spiritual leaders are saying it's completely okay to have intimate relations with, with your, your mother-in-law. No problem. Well, how could they argue that? Because there's a, this separation between the physical and the spiritual. Again, there's lots of Christians who day to today believe that too. They just, you know, this world is evil. This world is, is terrible. I can't wait to, you know, be free from this physical world and go begin my spiritual forever life with God. Little did he know, we, we were created for this physical world. We're going to spend eternity in physical bodies as well on an earth very much like this one. This, this world, in fact, recreated. Anyway, down another tangent. I got a lot of these in this podcast episode. The Corinthian Christians suffered from this. They were seeing, teaching some of these super spiritual leaders that that which is spiritual is good. And that makes sense, right? Those who are super spiritual, they, everything's spiritual. Spiritual this, spiritual that, Holy Spirit this, Holy Spirit that. Okay, and so uh, therefore, this physical world is bad and evil, and we need to we need to get away from this physical world and retreat from this physical world and stop focusing our attention on the the things of this world, blah blah blah, and so on. Okay, so they were saying, therefore, as a result of this view, that since the physical world is evil, only the spiritual world is good. Well, guess what that means about the physical body of Jesus? Oh. Well, that means that Jesus maybe didn't have a truly physical body like we do, because that would have been evil. And we know that Jesus isn't evil. Jesus isn't sinful. Okay? Uh, and so what they're saying is, is that when Jesus was accursed and died as a sinful human on the flesh, that was so that God could free him from his physical body. And, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as physical as ours because, you know, physical is evil. Sort of see how this all develops, this convoluted idea that the physical is bad, spiritual is good. Okay? Jesus' body wasn't completely physical, but he needed to die in order to break free from the physical body and, and become a super truly, purely spiritual being, just like we're going to be. This is why, by the way, Paul goes into, on to argue in 1 Corinthians 15 about the physical resurrection of Jesus. You go read 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, it's not just about the resurrection of Jesus, but it's about the physical resurrection. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he was given a physical body, which people could see and touch. Okay, that's Paul's point there. Why does he make that point? Because the Corinthian Christians were denying it. They were saying, oh, well, Jesus might have come back from the dead, but not in a physical body because physical's bad, spiritual is good. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. He got a physical body, we will get a physical body. Why? Because physical is good, not evil. Anyway, another tangent. By the way, well, as long as I'm on tangents and rabbit trails, um, Book of 1 John is all about this as well. Uh, the the people that John is writing to were a little further down this path of dualism, uh, physical bad, spiritual good idea, and he is he is confronting and correcting this time and time again all the way throughout First John as well. That's another key to understanding First John. The point is Jesus did have a physical body, just like ours, and he was raised with a physical body, but that does not mean that he was sinful or accursed as some of the teachers in Corinth were teaching, were claiming. 
All right, they claim to be, te- be be speaking by the Holy Spirit, saying that Jesus was accursed, that somehow he was in this physical bad human body, all right, and that somehow this is why God put him to death, accursed on the cross, on the tree, so that he could be set free from this physical body. All right, just like we will be set free. Okay, this is how the teaching went. And Paul is setting out to confront and correct all of this. All right? He's saying, look, you're not going to say when you're speaking by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was accursed, that he needed to be set free from his bad, evil, sinful body so that he could... No, you're going to say Jesus is Lord in the flesh, that he is Lord now in his risen, physical, human body, and that we too in the future, when we die and will rise again, we too will have a physical body. Okay? Which Paul gets into immediately following this discussion of spiritual spiritual gifts uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, launches into this discussion of the physical resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. And that's just what Paul is launching into here. So is Paul saying, here, let me give you a test to determine who is truly a Christian and who isn't. Who has the Holy Spirit and who doesn't? Or who has an evil spirit and who doesn't? No, no. He's confronting a bad teaching in the Corinthian church that some of the people were claiming to teach under the influence of the Holy Spirit, namely that Jesus is accursed. And Paul is saying, look, when you are speaking by the Holy Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to say Jesus is accursed because he wasn't. Okay? He was put to death, but not because he was sinful or had a sinful, evil, physical, human body. He was accursed by religion, and by government working together to destroy Jesus, one who was challenging their power, right? And so that means Jesus is Lord. He guides us and directs us and commands us and tells us what to do. And if you are going to follow Jesus, live like Jesus, love others like Jesus, then you will be living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. When we are living under the power and influence of the Holy Spirit— He will be leading us to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, with our words, with our actions, and in everything we think, say, and do. Okay? So that's how Paul is is, uh, confronting the Corinthian Christians there. All right, so I hope that helps you understand. I went on a lot of rabbit trails and tangents, but hopefully that gives you an idea of what Paul is actually saying. Don't use this verse as a way to try to figure out who's a Christian and who isn't, because that's not what Paul is talking about here. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, and this word, anathema. Look, if you got questions, uh, leave them in the discipleship group area on Facebook uh, if you are part of the discipleship group. If not, what are you waiting for? Join us. <laughs> it's a party in there sometimes. Great discussions about text. People raise questions all the time. I hardly participate sometimes. I just love sitting back and watching the, the, the interaction in the community. If you feel alone out there, All right, you're part of a church or maybe not, but you want other like-minded people and you like this podcast, listen, you're going to love that online uh, discipleship Facebook group as well. It's private. To get an invitation, you need to join the discipleship group by going to redeeminggod.com slash join. One of the first emails I send you welcoming will be an invitation to join that online discipleship group. Okay, great way to interact, meet with others. 
respect. Uh, there were even a couple people in South Africa recently, didn't even know they existed. They only live a couple hours from each other. I mean, they're not neighbors. Uh, but I, I just recently read on Facebook they're going to try to meet up and hang out every once in a while. And uh, so that's pretty exciting. Might be something happen, happening similar to you when you join. Redeeminggod.com slash join. Not just get the community, online community, but all my online courses, free ebooks, uh, a bunch of other things as well. Thank you for listening. Uh, as we uh, discussed 1 Corinthians 12, 3 today. Next week, we're going to look at another passage from 1 Corinthians. And uh, that is 1 Corinthians 16, 22, near the end of his letter, where he again uses this word anathema, accursed. Okay. <laughs> And uh, it sounds like he's pronouncing a curse on people who don't love Jesus. Is that what we're allowed to do? Can we curse others who don't love Jesus the way we think they should? Well, I think you know the answer to that. No. <laughs> but then what does 1 Corinthians 16, 22 mean? Well, that's what we will be discussing next time. Join us then. Talk to you later. Bye.